Hey, everybody, if you want to tell the world something or sell the world something, head on over to Squarespace because they're going to help you build the website of your dreams. Say you want to sell some custom merch. Well, you can set up your online store, whether you sell physical, digital, or service products. Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. So go to squarespace.com stuff right now, and you will face a free trial. And when you get ready to launch, use our offer code STUFF, and then you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. How could you go wrong with Squarespace? Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry over there. Uh, this is stuff you should know. <laughs> what was that? That was uh, I don't, I don't know, a little extra something on top, I guess. A little hot sauce. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Cholula. Uh, so we just got back from our wonderful tour of the United Kingdom and Ireland. Yeah, and it could not have gone better. Right. And uh, you may be hearing more about this in the future. Maybe, or we may never speak of it again. <laughs> That's true too. Uh, oh, before we go though, um, before we go. Yeah, we're still, we're just starting out. Before we get started, uh-huh. um, I started my own little personal Chuck Charles W. Chuck Bryant Facebook page. Nice. As a public figure. Yeah, I've got one of those too. You do? Yeah. What's it? What? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's largely neglected. I should oh. probably <laughs> pay attention to it, huh? So basically you say, I have a, a, a haunted ghost house that I own. <laughs> Feel free to walk by right, every now and then. Exactly. Uh, my house is populated by me, and uh, go like the page, and I'm going to be sharing a little more personal stuff, like my opinion on things and sharing music I like. Photos of your bare knees. <laughs> photos of my knees, uh, photos of my animals. Nice. Just a little more stuff like that, because I get yelled at now when I do anything semi-personal oh, on, yeah. on the Stuff You Should Know page. Yeah. I think I'll go and have mine, too. Yeah. So if you want a piece of me... As gross as that sounds, <laughs> look for Charles W. Chuck Bryan on Facebook, and uh, it's going to be a party. <laughs> <laughs> it is, huh? That's the logo. I um I do I I neglect my Facebook page, but I am fairly active on Twitter. Yeah, you got, got your own Twitter thing. Yeah, right? it's uh, Josh underscore um underscore Clark. Of course, it is. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that. I I do the same thing on that though. It's like. I'm a little more opinionated and share more personal stuff. Yeah, we're allowed to be real human beings. <laughs> exactly. It's neato. We don't have to be brand ambassadors. <laughs> yeah. We could take our sashes off. All right. So that's all for announcements for me. So, Chuck. Yes. Have you ever encountered water? <laughs> yeah. Yeah? Uh-huh. So you know that there's three states of matter, and water is a great demo of these different states, right? Yeah, I encounter it every morning when I wash my horse. 
Yeah, well, you should share pictures of you washing your horse on your Facebook page. It's great. Um, what's your horse's name? Uh, Gancho Ganev. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice, man. There's just a few hundred people who know what you're talking about. That's right. Um, so when you're washing Gancho and that nice water is <laughs> like coming down all over his horsey body. Yes. It is in its liquid state, right? Yes. And when it's in its liquid, liquid state, its, uh, density is, different than when it's in its solid state. That's right. It's more dense in its solid state, e.g. ice, or i.e. ice, sorry. Yeah. But then if you really heated it up and turned it into steam, it would turn into water vapor, right? Yes. Then then it's in its gaseous state, and it's less dense. That's right. Those molecules mm. could not get further apart. Well, they probably could. So while its density is smaller in ice, it actually takes up less Space, right? That's correct. So if you put that water in a space and you froze it, it would shrink inside the space. If you expanded it into water vapor, it would take up more space. That's right. And as it takes up more and more space, its pressure increases. That's right. And if you could only be clever enough to figure out a way to harness that pressure, my friend, you would have harnessed what's called steam power. That's right. And that is the show. For today, and uh, Robert Lamb of uh, Stuff to Blow Your Mind wrote this one, How Steam Technology Works, on yeah. our website, How Stuff Works. Yep. And it's a good one. Robert can write a fine article. That, oh, yeah. That guy. For sure. Uh, so let's go back in time a little in the old Wayback Machine. The steam-powered one. Uh, yeah, today it is. Uh, so it might take a little longer mm-hmm. to get these coal fires burning. And sound different. But Jerry is uh, hard at work over there right. shoveling coal. <laughs> throwing levers. So let's go back. Uh, we're going to need a lot of coal, Jerry, because we're going back all the way to AD 75. Shovel faster, Jerry. <laughs> uh, How about a smile? <laughs> oh, I was just about to say you'd be a wonderful uh, whip guy for, for the coal shovelers, but not if you're asking them to smile. Because then it turns into a Broadway show. How about a smile? Yeah. Then the next song is called How About a Smile. Right. And all the cold shovelers sing it. Yeah, that's not bad, actually. I'm picturing Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom all of a sudden. Yeah. Were they shoveling coal? No, they were mining. Oh, okay. So I guess in a way they're shoveling coal, but they were getting it out of the ground. They were extracting it rather than depositing it into a fire. Yeah. I was all wrong. So let's go back to <laughs> AD 75 uh, and a, a true hero named Hero, the great mathematician Hero. He was writing books <laughs> on mechanics. He was uh, thinking a lot about air. And way back, <laughs> he was. And way back in AD 75, he actually conceived of steam as an engine in a way that we'll see came back to roost. A yeah. bit. Yeah. Came back to roost, is that the right? Yeah. It left for a while like a chicken, and then it came back and roosted. Yeah, like exactly. A chicken. Uh, he didn't have the technology to pull it off at the time, but what he thought about was a hollow sphere right. with these bent tube, uh, tubes coming out the side, and then fill that, that thing with water. Let's say it looks like a football with arms. Fill up that football with water, put it over a fire, and eventually that uh, water is going to boil. It's going to turn into water vapor inside. And it's going to come out those arms, and it's going to spin that little football in a perfectly thrown spiral. 
Or it's going to go spin around in an axis, yeah. like Curly on his shoulder on the on the floor from the Three Stooges. Yeah, but it's attached to something right over the fire. Yeah, exactly. So it's spinning, spinning. Um, he called that thing an alio pile, and he actually had a number of different ideas and inventions. Two theoretical ones using steam. One was a steam-powered bird. Yeah. And this would have been about the right time for the Clash of the Titans. Remember that little robot steam bird in there? Uh, the first movie, you mm-hmm. mean? Yeah, the original one with Harry Hamlin. Yeah. I mean, that's basically, this guy is the I one who came that. up with that. Boy, that Medusa really scared me Freaky, when I was a kid. Man. Same here. And I'd completely avoided that remake because it looked so bad. Yeah. I was thinking about that when I, I was like, oh, wait, that was in Clash of the Titans. And I thought about the remake of Clash of the Titans. Yeah. Nobody's actually, they're not making these movies as like an homage to a great movie. Right. They're doing it because they're like, uh, we don't have any ideas, so we're just going to poke your nostalgia yeah. and, and hopefully get a few bucks out of you yeah. and disappoint you and probably ruin the original one for you. That's true. But while I do love nostalgia, as evidence in our show on nostalgia, <laughs> yeah. my nostalgia poke button has a uh, cover over it. So when people go to poke it... Mm-hmm. They just get rebuffed. You should get one of those ones that shock people when they I go should, to poke it. But I have to raise that cover to allow my button to be pushed. So how do I mean? Like, how does that cover get raised? I have to allow it. You know, I have to want to to dive into the pool of nostalgia. I see. Gotcha. You can't just come along and be like, "Oh, look, another red dawn poke button." <laughs> you know? Did that ever get made? Yeah. Okay. So hero, right? Yeah, hero. Hero comes up with this thing. He was very much limited, and this would be the case for hundreds, tens of centuries. Oh, yeah. Um, That steam power was theoretically far more advanced than practical material science. Yeah, he was way ahead of his time. Yeah. I mean, steam, the, the, the power you can harness from steam is practically unlimited by the... Depending on the the materials that can hold the thing, right? Right. Yes. If you have material that can hold a, a infinitely dense amount of steam or infinitely pressurized pressurized amount of steam, you could run the world, my friend. Yeah. But we don't have that, and no. Hero definitely didn't have it. He basically could just draw it and say, "This will be great someday." Yeah, which was great. I mean, that's that's how things get made. He was just ahead of his time. Like by about 1,600 years. Yeah, he was a futurist. Yeah. Uh, so flash forward, we'll rev up the machine again, and we'll putter along to 1606. Uh, we're in Italy now, and one Giovanni Battista della Porta <laughs> of Naples said, you know what, I've got some theories about steam too, and I think what we can do is actually create a vacuum. So if we take that water that's steam and it's in a closed container, uh-huh. it's going to increase pressure in there like we're right. talking about. Sure. So if we condense it back down to water right. by cooling it in that same chamber, because they hadn't quite figured out that you should do this separately, right. which we'll get to. Uh, he said that will decrease pressure and in theory, it'll create a vacuum. It'll create a pull. Right. They went genius. Yeah. That's great. And the French, of course, said, let's see how we can apply this to cooking. And they did. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Within, um, I think, about 70 years, a guy named Denis Papin 
who was not related to Jacques Pepin. Oh, I wonder where I heard that name. But may have been. Who was Jacques Pepin? Very famous French chef. Oh, okay, right. Great guy. I couldn't. I thought you were talking about Mario Batali. No, that's <laughs> Italy. This is France, right? They basically yeah. took this idea and they said, surely there's a way to, to use this for cooking. And Denis Pepin created what is essentially the first pressure cooker. Yeah, the name is so great. The digester or engine for softening bones. Right. It would extract like proteins and fats and all that stuff from the bones and leave the bones brittle so you could turn the bones into bone powder. Yeah. And get all the good stuff from it and cook with that, right? Yeah, what I'm not sure of though, <laughs> he he ended up attaching a, a piston essentially to it. Why did he do that? As a pressure release valve. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. No, that, that makes sense. Right. So he added basically the world's first pressure relief valve to the world's first pressure cooker. Yeah, the first steam-powered piston. Like, he didn't know it yet, but he was laying the groundwork for yeah. an engine. Yeah. That's definitely one thing that emerged from researching this, Chuck, is that, like, the the history of steam power is definitely built on the backs of earlier people. That's neat. You can trace it yeah. all back to one guy. Yeah. Who's like, go forth and make this. Do you know what struck me was I was researching all these great men doing these things, and I thought... How much further would we be along in the world if women all throughout antiquity uh-huh. just could do whatever they wanted as well? Yeah, and contribute themselves. Yeah, like they literally cut off half of society <laughs> yeah. and said, you just go do this. And th- it's valuable to to raise families and, right, to, yeah. and to you know cook and clean and do all the things that women were forced to do back then. But they could also do other things, I bet. I mean, they were doing other things. I'm not trying to say... That they weren't making advances, but they certainly weren't. I don't think anybody's taking it that way. They weren't allowed to go into the science labs. No, but you make a good point. Like, if if raising a family is a, an extremely important pursuit, which I think we both agree it is, yeah, would society be as far as it is now if men and women had been equally involved in pursuing science and nobody was raising the family? Yeah, like what if 200 years ago there's a lady who could have figured out a cure for cancer, but in her family, like, no, 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 you you scrub that thing and turn that butter. Wonder. And she just muttered to herself, like, oh, oh, I cure you. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, and necessity is a mother of invention is the other thing that really came to mind because all these advancements usually came along because they wanted to do something, like, specifically. Well, almost every time there was an advancement in definitely material science, there was somebody who had invented a new steam thing that was limited by the the poor materials available at the time. Right. When the new materials came along, they just immediately used it for the steam invention that had been drummed up a hundred years before. Yeah. You know? So it just constantly was advancing. By See, leaps and bounds. Now I think I have just bungled my message so poorly that people are going to say, Chuck, there were plenty of women in, of science in the early days. So to make up for that, we're going to have to do a podcast on the early pioneers of science who were women. Okay. All right. I pledge to do that now. But my message was pure. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Anybody who doesn't get that. Sometimes I don't talk so good. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because that's your job. I know, right? Uh, I know what you mean, though. All right, so 17th century, we're going forward in time a little bit more. And uh, over in England, where we just got back from, yeah, they had a, a timber crisis because they were 
they were advancing. They were building so many things made out of wood, uh, namely ships and, of course, homes and things. Uh, and they were in those homes. They need a lot of firewood. Right. So you still needed the wood to build uh, ships and things. But right. they found out, hey, we can use coal for fires at least. Yeah, and we're running low on timber, so we need to allocate it smartly. Yeah, so let's use coal, which was great. But sure. to get more coal, you have to dig deeper. And to dig deeper means it's going to be wetter. You're going to hit the water table eventually. And so eventually this all led to a problem, which was, hey, we're down in this coal mine now, and it's full of water. Uh, how can we rectify this? Right. So necessity once again pops up. Everybody just stood around thinking for about 50 years. Everything came to a halt. Mm-hmm. And then finally- There was, there was a woman in the background going, I totally I know how idea. to do that. I can tell you how to do this. <laughs> This dude named, finally, a man spoke up and everyone listened. That's right. A guy in 1698 uh, named Thomas Savory. He was a military engineer. He had come up with something that he called a miner's friend. Right. Which, I don't know if that's the best name for it, yeah. but maybe 1698 it was. Sure. So his miner's friend was basically, it's it's really neat. So it's very tough to describe this stuff. From here on out, every time we describe something, yeah, you're going to get lost. So just go look up a diagram of what we're talking about. It helps. And it definitely helps for sure. It helped me big time. Yeah. But basically what it was was there was a pot of boiling water. Mm-hmm. And in this pot of boiling water, there the, the steam would be created. And a pot, I mean an enclosed pot with like pipes coming out, but valves keeping it shut, right? Yeah. And they, you would create steam, and this, this steam would be transferred into another chamber with a pipe that was going down into the, to the water that you wanted to get out of the ground, okay? That's right. Okay. You would introduce steam into this, right? And then you would introduce cold water into that steam-filled chamber, and it would suddenly condense the water, create a vacuum. Yeah. And that vacuum would pump the water out of the ground. Right. Then you had another pipe that would siphon off the water from that chamber because there was a non-return valve. Once the water came up, it couldn't go back down. Yeah, that was the key. Sure. Yeah. And then they would pump the water out of that tube, that pipe, and then do the whole process over again. Yeah. And it, it worked pretty well. But yeah. he didn't sell a ton of them to the mining. It, it didn't become the miner's friend like he thought. What it really became was the rich person who wanted to garden Right, uh, friend. This, the let's pump our swampy estate out, friend. Pretty much. And the reason why is because to to run it effectively and safely, you could only get about twenty five feet of water out. Yeah. If you're pumping water of a five hundred foot mine, that meant you had to have one of these huge setups every twenty five feet. Yeah. Not and be practical. pumping up to a reservoir that eventually pumped it up out of the mine. Yeah. So there's no way you could do that. Plus, every one of these setups had to have people running the valves. Like, all right. the valves and things were operated manually. And they had a pretty bad reputation for blowing up. Well, <laughs> that too. <laughs> right? <laughs> but it was a really, it was a almost, this guy wanted to sell it and change the mining industry. He didn't. But he did end up creating a scientific and historical proof of concept. Yeah, and... Well, you know what? Let's take a break, and we will come back and pick back up with uh, a couple of other brilliant dudes who advanced on those inventions. All right, so 1698 was the 
the miner's friend. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to me. I don't either. Uh, and just about 14 years later, in 1712, there was a blacksmith named Thomas uh, Newcomen and his little buddy, John Callie, who was his assistant, a plumber and glass blower. Mm-hmm. I get the feeling like everybody back then blew glass. You just knew what you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Make your own window. <laughs> like today, how everyone, uh, what is something everyone can do today? Um, drive a car. Yeah, or or complain on uh, social media. Sure, that's t- stop posting personal stuff. Yeah, that's the glass blowing of today. <laughs> posting on social media, yeah. complaining on it. Sure, I think you might be right. Uh, so he was a glass blower and plumber. His assistant was, and um, they said, you know what? Let's create a better system. It's more efficient. He took. Uh, it was called the Newcomen engine. I guess Cali, as an assistant, didn't didn't get his name in there. No, I would have lobbied for the new Cali or something, maybe. Combine the names. That's clever. But Newcomen, no. It's my name. You're the assistant. So they took uh, Savory's uh, separation of the boiler and then added Papine's steam-driven piston, and all of a sudden they had the Newcomen engine. Well, they, they no, they took the boiler and put it, combined it together, right? So, like, you had you had this piston, and it was heated and then cooled. Yeah. And then heated... And cooled. Right. So but, it was like combined into one. Yes. But the, it was a piston that was moving up and down, right? Well, yeah, but it was a piston that was moving up and down via this uh, thing that looks kind of like a seesaw. Yeah, it was connected to that, right? And yeah. on the other end of that seesaw was the pump. So one end is a piston moving this thing up and down like the seesaw, and on the other end is the pump. Yeah, and what it's really doing is it's pulling it down on either side. Yeah. It's not pushing ever. Like one side pulls... Making the one side go up, mm-hmm. and the other side pulls, making the other side go up. Right. So you've got a, um, you've got that that steam being generated, and it's pushing the piston up, and then you hit it with some cold water, and a vacuum's created. That's right. And this thing <laughs> could go through twelve cycles a minute. Hey, not bad. Yeah, for the true. early days, it's true. And um, it was it was beyond a proof of concept. Like this thing actually really worked. You could use it to do all sorts of work with. Yeah, and it was in hundreds of mines all over uh, Britain uh, and in Europe. So people were, like, digging into this thing called the engine for the first time. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. But uh, what happened was, with everything, these engineers start to say, you know what, let's improve on this. Uh, let's improve the efficiency with the pump. Let's improve these cylinders. Uh, you get better iron along the way, stronger iron. And this new coming engine is just kind of refined over a period of years. Right. Just from people tinkering with it, yep. right? It's working better and better. And there was one guy whose name you'll probably recognize. His name is James Watt. I think he was born in in England, but uh, he made his name in uh, Glasgow, Scotland. Yeah, my new favorite country. Yeah, it's a great country. Uh, I think his his I think his name was James the Game Changer Watt. <laughs> yeah. If he was a boxer, that's I'll, what he would have been called. Although he took he took the Newcomen engine and. Changed it back closer to the miner's friend, though, because the yeah. newcoming combined the um, the the boiler with the condenser, and he separated them out again. What he figured out was if you just keep the piston hot, right, the piston chamber hot, yeah, and you have a separate condenser, you're going to use less energy 
keeping the condenser cool yeah. and the piston hot. Because one of the dumb things about the new Komen engine and the reason why it took so long to go through these cycles, so where you could only do 12 a minute, yeah. was because when when it was hot and the steam rose, when you hit, hit it with that cold water, it cooled off and a vacuum was created. You had to wait for the, the thing to heat up again to get yeah. the steam. If you had the cool water over here and the steam over here, you would keep the hot side hot and the cool side cool. It was the McDLT. It was. <laughs> and you could hit them, you could use them to hit the, the uh, piston as often as you wanted. And it really, really improved, um, its efficiency. Yeah. Like the engine is really starting to, to take hold now. Right. And hum like an engine should. Yeah. Uh, so he partners up with a guy named Matthew Bolton. Um, I'm not sure. No, spelled differently than Michael. There's a U in there. Michael's just B-O-L-T-O-N, right? Well, the the this guy's is the British spelling. Oh, so he could be a distant relative. Right. You never know. I like to think so. Uh, whatever happened to Michael Bolton? Is he still oh, I music? guarantee he's still touring and making records and stuff. Yeah, Guys he, like that, they... They don't go away. They might not be in the the international limelight anymore, right. but they're still doing what they do. There's always a home in Branson, Missouri. Sure. Or Vegas. Yeah. Uh, all right. So Watt is uh, partnered up with Bolton. Um, they are making a more fuel efficient engine now with that separate condenser. And this led to two other inventions, one called the Flyball Governor and one called the Double Acting Engine. The Flyball Governor <laughs> is you, so difficult you've to just understand. got to look it up. There's videos on YouTube. Yeah, you can't just look up a picture of it. You have to see like an animated version of it. Yeah, and once you see it, it all makes sense. And I want to say, I want to give a huge shout out to a site that I found extremely helpful. Um, it's called animatedengines.com. And they have all these like just, just graphics of engines. Yeah. And you can speed up the frames per second or slow it down and it shows you like all the moving parts. Yeah, I saw that too. And you get it. You yeah. just get it. But the flyball governor is... So we'll confuse you now with words. Well, no. The flyball governor, we're just going to say, just go look it up. But yeah. basically, it is a, a way to automate the opening and closing of valves yes. using ste- the steam that's being produced itself. Yeah. So Watt figured out, this thing's making a lot of steam, and a lot of this steam is going to waste. What if I took this waste steam and redirected it to do other stuff like open and close valves? Yes. That was a huge innovation. They also came up with the double acting engine where they figured out like, you don't need to create a vacuum anymore, guys. We can just use steam to make the piston go up and steam to make the piston go down. Yep. Double acting engine. Pretty neat. Yeah. That was, those were enormous, enormous changes. Again, that laid a, a bunch of groundwork. Like they kicked the thing forward and said, Hey, 20 years from now, get your inventors together because we just came up with some new ideas that you guys need to go build better metal to contain it with. Yeah. And don't forget about us. Yeah. James Watt. <laughs> and I'm the other guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, what this is would, would set the table for the beginnings of the industrial revolution, which began in, uh, the textile industry. Uh, and, and wool specifically for many, many years had been processed by hand. Mm-hmm. Then they eventually took it down by the river and had a water mill that in a, would, in a van, that would, yeah, in a van by the river. And this water mill would, would, you know, you all have seen how those work if you've been to any, I think Still Mountain Park here still has one. Sure. Pretty neat. Basically just using hydro, well, I was about to say hydroelectric, but hydropower. Sure. To spin a wheel, and they figured out, hey, why don't we use steam instead? 
and uh, Bolton and Watts engine works really well, and people are using it like crazy, but they were so early in the game, they had all these patents that sort of made it hard. Like, these mines were going broke paying money on these patents right. to, to use this technology. Right. Uh, what, what are they called? Uh, royalties. Yeah. And so this other dude comes along, a, a guy named Richard uh, Trevithick from Cornwall in England. Mm-hmm. I think it's Southwest? South, what, yeah. Known for their game hens. And there's supposedly they have a great witchcraft museum there. I've always wanted to go to, but oh, really? still have not been able to make it. So they're known for game hens, the Cornish engine, which we're talking about, yeah, and a witchcraft museum. Yeah. Not bad. No, that's not bad at all. Uh, and so, corn. Yeah, and corn. So he was uh, living in Cornwall, and he saw what was going on with all these miners. He said, you know what I'm going to do? Screw those guys and their patents. I'm going to just think of brand new technology that's better that you don't have to pay royalties on their patents. <laughs> that's pay, what he said, too. Pay them on my patents. He had a real bad attitude. Yeah. But he was smart. He was. He actually was super smart. This guy may have pushed steam further ahead than even Watt. Ooh. And I'd never heard of the guy before, had you? No. I have the impression he's a national hero in England. Probably so. Um, but he, uh, he had some... He he had the great fortune of having some much more improved materials available to him. Sure. So for a long time, people had said, like, man, if we could just get these containing vessels to hold really high pressure, we could do amazing stuff with this. Yeah, they knew pressure is what drove the piston, so the more pressure, the better. Right, yeah. I mean, if you could, if you can, like, you also, not only the more pressure, the better, the less... um Initial input you would have to put in with energy. Sure. It'd be more energy efficient, right? Fuel. You could just get right. So Trevithick um, had the advantage of having really good, better materials available to him to make this stuff. So he um, created this Cornish engine, and the Cornish engine used higher pressure. Yeah. But not only that, it was a compounding engine, meaning that um, it had it it used the steam in more than one way. Right. Right? So rather than like one piston, he's like, why not have four pistons? Yeah. And one piston is fired, and then some the steam from that piston escapes and fires another piston, and another, and another. And all of a sudden, you're doing four times the work. I'm from Cornwall. It was amazing. Yeah. And he was, uh, there was an American inventor named Oliver Evans who was kind of doing similar things uh, in the United States. And then a guy named Arthur Wolfe, I'm sorry, Arthur, Arthur Wolf was the one who came up with the compounding. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, Trevithick, his main contribution was basically just making a more rock-solid, cheaper, lighter, more efficient engine. That used high pressure. Yeah. Steam, yeah. Uh, so Wolf, <laughs> W-O-O-L-F. Like Virginia Wolf. Not Wolf. 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 It just seems funny looking. Uh, he was a brewery engineer. He mm-hmm. made beer. And he's the one that said, yeah, why don't we get all these pistons going? Yeah, let's All make pistons firing. More pistons. Pistons everywhere. Yeah, it just made total sense. Should we take a break? Yes. All right. <laughs> All right, we got steam coming out of everywhere. 
steam engines, they're working, uh-huh. they're, they're turning pistons. And so all of this eventually would lead to use to move things and people around. Yeah. People are like, I'm so tired of walking. My legs hurt so bad. Can you take this steam technology and like make a steam powered car? Yeah. And apparently people have been working on it for a while. There's some debate over who created the first steam powered vehicle. And supposedly there's a guy named Ferdinand Verbiest. Who's the Verbiest? <laughs> Ferdinand. He supposedly <laughs> created a steam car in 1672, but I guess that's up for debate. Um, there's a lot of, uh, like you could draw a schematic of something, but it doesn't necessarily mean you actually created it, I think is the issue. Yeah, that's true. Like we, we have no idea what was actually on the other side of a Newcomen, um, steam engine. Yeah. We just, cause none of the diagrams ever mention it. It's all about the steam engine itself. They don't talk about like the pumps. So we don't really know what kind of pumps they were using, that kind of thing. So if we go back, we can't say for certain that this guy did it. It's possible, but I think widely the a guy named uh, Nicolas Joseph Cugnot, ooh nice, uh, who is a French inventor, obviously created a steam-powered vehicle in 1769. But steam-powered cars, they went virtually nowhere. That's like when I invented the snowboard. I thought because evidence by my crayon drawing mm-hmm. of the ski board, and then we heard from people that said, "Sorry, the snowboard was actually before that even." Right. So whatever. But like you said, I I created that in a vacuum. A vacuum created by condensing water vapor. Yeah. You know? So as far as I'm concerned, I I did invent the snowboard. Sure, yeah, you're tapped into the zeitgeist. Yeah. People wanted to go really fast on a skateboard down a mountain. Yeah. While it was snow covered and you just wanted to, to deliver on that. And and six year old Chuck in Stone Mountain, Georgia, it was I was so keen to that. You just seen a water wheel. <laughs> Right? I'd seen my first ski movie. Which one? No, I was just kidding. But those were big back then. Sure. Remember Better Off Dead? Oh, sure. That was a ski movie of sorts. Yeah. There there was, uh, someone said something funny on Twitter the other day about, I can't remember who it was, some politician said, reminds him of a 80s ski movie villain. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought it was really good. Because every ski movie in the 80s had a bad guy. Oh, yeah. It was always the developer looking to build condos yeah. at the ski resort. Exactly. Uh, all right. So you're right. The car is one thing, but what if we could make something larger? Uh, Trevithick actually was kind of key in this. And yeah. he said, you know what? We've got these things. They, they don't call them railroad tracks yet. They just call them rails on the ground. But yeah. And you hook a donkey <laughs> up to a cart. Yeah. And it's to help, it's really to help the donkey. Sure. Cause they're so stupid, they can't walk in a straight line, really. But Plus if the terrain, if I would pulling, imagine. Well, that too. Yeah. But if they're pulling a cart on rails that have already been laid out on the path they're supposed to follow, they're fine. Just give them a couple carrots and, uh, maybe a nice scratch behind the ear and they're okay. Yeah. They were called tramways. Right. Uh, officially. I was just kidding. So, uh, Trevithick is like, hey, let's, Let's put something steam-powered on these tracks. Yeah, brilliant. And he tried it. He actually came up with something um, called Trevithick's Portable Steam Engine, which he called the Puffing Devil. Oh. That was his name for it. Nice. And uh, it worked. He did a demonstration where it hauled 10 tons of iron for 10 miles. Do you know how huge that is at the time? Sure, yeah. Amazing. Because everything, everything up to that point had been hauled by donkeys. Yeah, horsepower. Yeah, Literal horsepower, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, obviously not just donkeys. There were horses too, but everything was 
very much localized. And I don't think we've said it yet, but steam power was the um, the literal engine for the industrial revolution. Yeah, this is where it all started for sure. You know, and the way that it it, it started was you could suddenly take timber in this area and move it over to this area hundreds of miles away oh, yeah. coal in this area to power these steam engines over here. Changed the course of history. It did. Water turning into water vapor. Yeah. And containing that. Yeah. It's amazing. And, uh, and it, it's, it started in England. Yeah. It's just pretty neat. You're pandering. No, it's true that like <laughs> over here in America, we're like, yeah, the industrial revolution really picked up in the 19th century when yeah. it hit America. But I mean, it's, it's roots are definitely further back. Yeah. This is in, uh, what, 1804? Yeah. Uh, and I then, think I learned that uh, England cannot be flattered right. with flattery. They know. Look, don't pander to us, pal. No. All right, so it's 1808. Uh, you've got, what do you call it? The, pu- the Industrial dev- Revolution. No, the, the Devil's Puffer, the Puffer Devil? The Puffing Devil. Puffing Devil. I like the Devil's Puffer. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not sure what that is. Uh, it's like the miner's friend. <laughs> you got those, you got a party. Uh, so this is a portable steam engine. He takes it to London, central London, puts it on a circular track, and everyone goes, blimey, what is that? It is of the devil. It's a puffing devil. Yeah, and it's amazing. Uh, and there was a, an engineer there named George Stevenson, and a couple of decades after Trevithick, he said, you know what, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to like everyone else before, say I'm going to make it better, more efficient. And all of a sudden, things got so good, they actually opened up what I think is the first town-to-town railroad line uh, between, because they were trying to move coal from Durham to Stockton at a shipping port. Right. And it worked so well, they said, all right, let's do this. Let's, let's put in the infrastructure, build what this guy's calling a locomotive track. Sure. And uh, that was, I think, the very first operating locomotive track yeah, and rail line. And it, it didn't just carry cargo. It carried 600 passengers to Well, their, that was to Stevenson, too, yeah. Yeah. He said, why don't we put people on that thing? Right. And they're like, is this safe? And he's like, no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> but I really have a lot to prove. So just pick 600 criminals. Who cares? Yeah. Don't sit near the boiler and you'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, so in the meantime, there people are still tinkering around with the, the steam car that didn't go away, but it never took off. No. And, um, the steam locomotive was just this beautiful design to think about it. So let's go back to all the steam engines we talked about. Yeah. It's, um, steam moving a piston back and forth, back and forth, right? Yeah. Or up and down, of course. Sure. But in this case, it's going... Um, it's moving horizontally. Yeah. The piston is. And the piston is attached to a bar that's attached to a wheel. Yeah. And if you want to get kind of fancy, you can attach several wheels to this bar. Yeah. And as the piston's moving back and forth, this bar is actually making an ellipse. Yep. And as far as the wheels are concerned, they're making circles. <laughs> and you're moving <laughs> forward as this is happening. Yeah. And again, go to animatedengines.com and look up a steam locomotive. And you, it's just amazing in its design. Like these people really just got in there and rolled up their shirt sleeves and had like coal dust on their faces. And really, they were doing like some real engineering. Oh, yeah. I'm just so impressed with the guys who, who made this stuff. It was amazing. Yeah. You know, they're... Of course, this is no surprise, but there are uh, 
I don't know what they call themselves, but they're big time train aficionados that go and just watch trains. Trainoids. They might be called train watchers even. Mm, train spotters? No. Are you sure? I don't think so. Probably. But they, uh, trainees? I can't remember where I came across it, but it was in another podcast I was researching and found this whole subculture of people that, that find these old, you know, usually, I mean, they watch all kinds of trains, but mainly they, that what really, like, gets them going. Uh-huh. <laughs> It really gets them out of bed in the morning. Right. It really the, gets their their miner's friend up. Yeah, it's the promise of uh, the promise of a old fashioned steam locomotive. Oh yeah, that's going through town. Yeah, because they still have them. You know, it's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, I get why people do it. It's sort of like birding. You know, it's a very solitary kind of quiet thing. Yeah, and then that train rumbles by. And I've, I mean, like I I understand. I've never been into trains or whatever. I'm more just. I think the steam engine on a steam locomotive is amazing. Yeah, and you like to take trains. Sure. We took a train from uh, Manchester to Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Lovely. It was a really nice ride. To the English countryside. Yeah. And Scottish. Yep. I couldn't tell the difference. Uh, I I could. I was like, oh, yeah, we're in Scotland now. <laughs> I know. Uh, all right, so the, the steam engine is chugging along. Um 1825, Stephen, they called it so, so cool. He was a conductor on locomotion number one. That one was 600 passengers. Yeah. It's just so cool that they named it. Like locomotion number one. This is the very first time this has been done. <laughs> they were very prescient. It was just so cool. Right. It's like the first plane flight or something. We need to do one on the Wright brothers. Okay. I'm happy to do that. They're from Ohio. You're like, no, sorry. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Screw those I wouldn't guys. even say their name. So Chuck, yeah, the steam locomotive is a. It was pretty much a out of the gate hit. Yeah, some poor people were still working on the steam powered car, but in the meantime, other people were like, "What about steam boats?" Yeah, let's come up with something like that. And um, some people have been kicking around the idea for that as well. And apparently, it followed pretty closely the evolution of the steam locomotive too. Mm-hmm. Um, just people building on ideas and people coming up with proof of concepts. And it was an American a guy named Robert Fulton who uh, created the first steam-powered paddle-wheeled boat that showed that it was actually capable of moving up and down rivers. Yeah, and that, there was there was a guy in England in about forty years earlier named Jonathan Hull who had the the first steam powered tugboat, but uh-huh. it didn't work too well because again the technology with these Newcomen and Savory engines just weren't good enough. Right. But it was really Fulton who said, you know, come aboard. How quaint is this? Yeah. Do you like my captain's hat? Yeah, traveling up and down the river with a paddle boat. <laughs> How quaint is this? They're like, well, we don't have any future things to compare it to, so it's just <laughs> contemporary to us. Well, and dudes that were uh, professional oarsmen were like, no, I really like the looks of this thing. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's wonderful. So Fulton created um, the first one, but it was a guy named William Symington who uh, gets credit for the fir- full first fully steam-powered passenger boat. Yeah, the Charlotte Dundas. Yeah. And uh, Fulton's was the Claremont. Yep. And uh, in 1819... What the, what they would do with uh, these these sailing ships is they would now outfit them with steam power for when the wind was down, right? And uh, just to augment the the wind, and it worked out great. And uh, in 1819, the Savannah became the very first steam powered ship to make a transatlantic crossing. 
Yeah, and apparently Amazing. this steam power was such a threat to sailmakers that this yeah. a consortium of sailmakers lobbied the um, British government saying, hey, can you can you do something? Can you stifle the steam technology? Yeah, can you shut down this amazing advancement? <laughs> right, because we make sales. Yeah, didn't work. That's you know every time something is automated, like the ATM or something, mm-hmm. and people say, "Oh, people are going to lose jobs." You're looking at history, buddy. That's all history has been is one advancement that puts people out of work, right? Creating a new industry where people can work. And it's sad in a way, but it's just part of it, you know? Yeah. It's called moving forward. Yeah. Too bad, so sad for the sale industry. Yeah. Sale making industry. But, you know, there's people still sail recreationally. Sure. It's saved. Yeah. So now we get to the best part, in my opinion, Chuck. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I like the locomotive. So the steam turbine... The electricity-producing steam-powered turbine. Yeah, there's a good argument for that. I love it. Yeah. Remember our How Electricity Works episode? I do. So electricity is created when you spin a copper coil inside a magnet, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And Michael Faraday created uh, what uh, he called a dynamo, which is basically that. And he said, hey, steam guys of the future, I got an idea for you. Go ahead and come up with a steam-powered dynamo. Can you do it? Yeah. And they set about trying to make that happen. Um, part of the problem, though, is they figured out that with a steam-powered piston, which is what all steam power or steam engines powered were pistons up to that point, yeah. you could only do so many um, cycles of RPMs, minutes. yeah. Yeah. And that's you need the dynamo going pretty fast to create some electricity yeah. or enough to use on an industrial scale. So this dude named um, Charles Algernon Parsons, who's British, in 1884, he figured out that there was a new type of steel available, yeah. and you could create a pretty nice turbine from it. And if you took that turbine and went all the way back to basically Hero's original idea, which was spinning, but rather than having the steam spin the actual vessel, yeah. you had vessel a vessel creating steam that you're shooting out at the turbine, Yeah, you can spin a dynamo pretty fast. Yeah, 18,000 revolutions a minute was his dynamo, and in 1890, Jack, that was enough to generate electricity, and they installed it forthwith at the 4th Banks Power Station, and the rest of Europe said, holy cow, we have electricity. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, and uh, as a matter of fact, something like 88% of the electricity in the United States still today is made through steam. Yeah. Steam turbines. Amazing. 80% worldwide is made through steam turbines. So, like, this this guy changed the world. Yep. Um, Along with Faraday. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And everyone else before. Right. Because everybody's building on the, the work of everybody else. And all the women who supported those men. Exactly. Who probably had better ideas. Yeah. Who were like, we could have come up with this <laughs> seven, eight hundred years ago. So we've mentioned a few times that this was dangerous. Uh, e- exploding boilers were a problem. Man. Uh, even when they figured out safety valves, um, early safety valves wouldn't work. Actually, later safety valves have proved to not work on occasion. Yeah. In the case of Three Mile Island. But um, it, they, it got a bad uh, rap in the press, of course, and that probably um, slowed progress a bit. 
But uh, progress continued uh, nevertheless. Well, even today there's boiler explosions. Like there was a big one at a plant, a Dana Corporation plant in Tennessee. Yeah. Just blew up like a significant portion of the plant. Man. And it's it's not just um, that it's like th- throwing hot water out everywhere. The, the pressure that can build up in these high-pressure systems uh, in these vessels, if the vessel gives, yeah. when that... When that steam hits the regular atmosphere, it expands, right? Yeah. And you have basically, uh, I think I read something like a 10,000 kilogram vessel of water, which is what you would find on like a steam locomotive. Yeah. If it blew up, it would blow up to with a force equivalent of one ton of TNT. Crazy. Yeah. So it's a, it's a big deal if your blower blows up. Yeah. And it all comes down to the safety valves. And whether or not they're allowing too much pressure to build up, and then your vessel's ability to withstand that added pressure. Yeah, pretty scary. It is kind of scary, but it's yeah. No, that's uh, my Just sentence scary. ends there. <laughs> it's pretty scary. I don't <laughs> want to be involved in a boiler accident. Uh, no, I don't think anyone wants to. Um, all right, we're gonna finish. I think with this, right? Unless you have other stuff. No. Beyond super critical fluid. Oh, I do kind of. All right. We'll finish with that then. But right now, supercritical fluid we'll talk about. It is uh, earlier when you talked about solid, liquid, and gas, uh, each having uh, their molecule distribution uh, at different densities. Right. Um, something really strange happens, as Robert points out, when you heat, uh, when, you, when you go through the, to, from solid to liquid to gas, and if you heat up that gas enough, those molecules actually eventually are forced back together. And it becomes like a liquid again, but it still has the properties of a gas. Yeah, it's kind of like a plasma state or something almost. It's supercritical fluid. Yeah. You know, that has its own name. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so when when uh, water in particular hits its, um, its critical point is at 705 degrees Fahrenheit. Whoa. And 217 atmospheres. That's right? amazing. So it's very high temperature, very high pressure. Yeah. When it goes beyond that point and it, it starts behaving quite weirdly, um, you actually can get more steam power out of less initial fossil fuel input. Yes. So it's actually, it's more, um, it's more uh, efficient when you can heat something to these higher pressures, these super critical pressures. And Way more. Yeah. So again, the reason that you can do this is we could have always done it. We could have heated it up to this this amount, yeah. but we never had the materials to hold it. Right. Now we have the materials to hold it, and they're they're um, creating more and more uh, electricity with supercritical steam. Yeah, and here's a little mind-blowing fact for you. Uh, this water, to create the supercritical liquid fluid, is heated at such a high pressure that it doesn't even boil. No, it goes right from water to water vapor. Amazing. Yeah. That's fast. Yeah. And apparently they're figuring out now that you could actually use CO2 instead of water because it has a much lower critical point. It's like um, 85 degrees Fahrenheit and 73 atmospheres, which is like nothing. Wow. And they're figuring out, well, wait a minute. We could use a bunch of CO2 in lieu of water vapor and get uh, even more um, energy out of this but from less input. So they're trying to figure out how to to use supercritical CO2. To create electricity now to power steam turbines. It's a decent band name. Supercritical CO2? Sure. Sure. It's not bad. So you got one more tidbit? That was it. Oh, that was a tidbit? Yeah. 
Oh, great. Can I go home? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in just a minute. Uh, Since we don't have anything else, if you want to know more about steam power, you can type those words into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. Since I said steam power, it's time for listener mail. Uh, This is written by one of our uh, jingle writers, you know, our little jingle bumpers. Sure, yeah. Uh, Hey, guys, just want to appreciate the fact that SYSK gives Joe Schmoes like me the opportunity to feel famous for just a fleeting moment. Uh, Whenever I'm listening to an episode and you cut to commercial, I hear one of my little songs. It really takes me by surprise, and I think, that sounds familiar. Oh, yeah, I wrote that. Yippee. Uh, I'm a stay-at-home dad. I'm trying to make my name for myself as a... Stay-at-home uh, dad? <laughs> as a versatile graphic artist and film composer, and it's nice to know that at least something of mine is uh, making it out to the masses. Uh, and speaking of being a dad, I just finished my first children's ebook. Awesome. Which uh, we're going to plug, since he gave us his... Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we plug it anyway. Uh, I'm very proud of it. It's called Hector's Song. It's a tale about being who you are no matter what. Uh, it's a great message. Nice. That uh, is a good message. You can get the regular read words on a page version on Kindle or, or an enhanced version with narration and music on that, iBooks. That jacks into your brain. <laughs> yeah. He recommends it for kids uh, zero to six or so. And you can go to his website, which is uh, Elaine Osborne, E-A-L-A-N, Elon, probably. Yeah. O-S-B-O-R-N-E dot com or just go to iBooks or Amazon. And uh, thanks again, guys. J Money and Chucky D. That's right. You guys are the real deal. Thanks, Alon. We appreciate that, man. Yeah, you're the real deal, too, man. Writing books and music and yeah. stay-at-home dadding. Yeah. Pretty neat. Yeah. Super neat. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us because you submitted a jingle and have now written a book, well, we want to hear from you. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast or Josh Um Clark, uh, too. You can uh, hang with us on Facebook.com slash stuff you should know. Check me and Chuck out on Facebook for the more personal stuff of Chuck's needs. Uh, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Ready, set, griddle this grilling season. Get the Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. With a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools, it's pre-seasoned and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge. It reaches up to 500 degrees, and the Weber Works Prep Cook and Store System keeps cooking supplies handy. You can carry all the food, condiments, and utensils you need. So get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. 